0: I sometimes ponder an experience I had many years ago at a zoo in Colorado Springs. Seeing the caged animals has always deeply saddened me. I was standing as close as I could to the rail that separated me from the bars of a cage containing a large spider monkey. We stared at each other for an extended time, each of us seeming to feel each other's sadness. And what happened next was for me of the deepest measure and meaning. This incredible but imprisoned creature then got down off his perch on an elevated branch in his cage. He approached the bars between us and he extended his long arm toward me, his hand open and upturned. I was moved to the marrow. I leaned out as far as I could over the rails that separated me from his prison bars. I reached out my hand and I clasped his leathery palm. And ever so gently, he held on to my hand and stared into my eyes. I felt pain. I felt his pain. That moment is forever burned into my soul.
1: I can still feel his Uh, pain. Okay. If you don't know who that was, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who that was, I'll tell you who I am right now. This is Dan with the Little Saigon Report. And that was Dane Wigington of geoengineeringwatch.org. I think O-R-G, not .com. And I listen to Dane Wigington's podcast on a weekly basis. I will not tell you if I'm either proud or ashamed of this. I will say... I just have to admit this. I'm kind of addicted to his bullshit. Did you hear that fucking shit? That was from some fucking intense, poignant, fucking man meets monkey bullshit. Like connecting with a fucking monkey at the zoo. Did you hear how the monkey held out his hand? How the monkey reached out to Dane and Dane reached back... Now the monkey reached out to all of us, and we should reach back. Have you ever held hands with a monkey man? Have you ever wanted to hold hands with a monkey man? It is Wednesday, hump day, just after 10 p.m. on November the 20th fucking 2019 and this is the little saigon report and as you well know there are many things we report on here almost none of it has anything to do with little saigon directly except for the fact that i live here i live in this place surrounded by the vapors and the ancient juices I live here amongst the Gumbus Freaks and the Gronkus Lords. I am a denizen of those lonely streets that are mostly populated by rats now, and lamprey rats. Yeah, it's November the 20th, 2019, folks. Can you fucking believe it? Crazy ass shit. I am not going to tell you you should make fun of Dane Wigington. Um, you may think I selected that audio. I think that was from September the 14th, 2019. Approximately 51 minutes in. Um, From what I can tell, and all, what the fuck do I know? Okay, what the fuck does anybody really know at this point? Okay, what, what do I know, really? But from what I am going to assume to be true, Dane Wiggington seems like a sincere guy. A sincere, earnest, intelligent person. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I have no reason to believe he's out to scam people. I have no reason to believe he's simply trying to sell doom porn. Um, it, it is not clear to me that there's any angle by which he intends to make money doing this. So, on that level alone, I kind of think Dane Wigington gains a lot of credit with me. that That's a long way of saying that I think even if you don't agree with what he's saying, even if you have questions about what he's saying, I think he's a voice worth listening to. On the other hand, though, and this is important, the guy does kind of ham it up at times. And, and again, it may be totally sincere, but fuck. That's some fucking intense shit, the fucking, I went to the fucking zoo, and I saw a monkey. And it was just like me, and it was just like you. And it held out its hand, and I reached back. But the zookeeper had a heart attack. So I do think he's worth listening to, but I also think anybody who's worth listening to is also arguably worth mocking at times, and should be okay with being mocked. If you think of yourself as a serious person, but you are um, averse to being made fun of at times, then I don't think you're very fucking serious. Because part of the reality of the public sphere is people will sling shit. Whether you like it or not. And my guess is, if Dane Wigington's been doing this as long as he claims he has, he's received a lot of shit. You know, probably me making fun of his little monkey experience, which frankly kind of sounded almost sexual at one moment. I mean, I almost wanted to play that disco sexual music. Like, get a room, monkey. Get a room, Dane. If you are a serious person in this world... um you probably should be prepared to be mocked. Serious issues are made fun of. Listen, nobody wants to hear the truth, folks. Nobody wants to hear anything remotely close to it. Or should I say this? If the truth is there are problems, nobody wants to hear about the problems. All they want to do is hear about the solutions. And if there are no solutions, then don't bring up the fucking problem. That's the general theory. Ignorance is bliss in America, folks. It's why people stare at their fucking phones all day. Yeah, arguably that shit is making people unhappy, so it's sort of counterproductive. But it also allows people to escape. And as one person to another, as one escape artist to another, I understand. For about two months now, going on three, I have been, I don't know how I'd phrase it, but I have been escaping. I have spent pretty much every day listening to music, using weed and drinking beer. Now, did I drink tons of beer? I drank as much as I could afford to. Did I vape tons of weed? I vaped as much as I could afford to. Am I either guilty or ashamed? Uh, the answer is no. Neither guilty nor ashamed nor proud. I'm, you know, if I can say such a thing, I'm not proud of this. Okay, I'm not, I'm not an example. If there is a working class ethic of obedience, that's not me. I believe in working hard, don't get me wrong. But you should ask yourself every fucking day what you're working for. You really should. If you're working for your family, that's a good fucking reason. If you're working to take care of somebody that needs your help, that's a good fucking reason. If you're working because you believe, honestly, that you're going to make the world a better place, well, I don't know what job you have, but that is a good reason. But if your reason for going to work is because you're afraid not to show up, or that you think you need to own stuff you don't really need, then I don't think those are very good reasons. But those are pretty much the main reasons now. The actual good reasons, like family, love, dignity, liberty, these reasons are frowned upon, folks. Do not bring up family. Do not bring up dignity. Never, ever bring up liberty. And if you ever bring up God, God forbid you do. Because you will get into a lot of fucking trouble. You know, the reason to work is being converted into a kind of weird-ass social contract. And and I should say, the contract's out on you, buddy. I was thinking today about, you know... Well, frankly, I was thinking about something horrible today. I was thinking about the Holocaust and, and how, essentially, people, ordinary, everyday people, were transitioned from a situation of living with others in a kind of peace to accepting being different and other and wearing yeah, wearing the gold star of David and then finally being herded onto trains and taken to a camp and the thing that is shocking about this isn't the fact that um people you know they gave up their guns to the nazis blah 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 gun control folks people have known how to steal guns for as long as there have been guns so the idea that this is about people not having guns i think and nailed it it's not about having guns or not having guns it's about a willingness to stand up to authority you can always steal the fucking guns You really can, folks. And I'll let you on a little secret. Um, On day zero plus one or two, perhaps I'd wait for day zero plus seven. There are going to be a lot of guns laying on the streets, folks, next to bodies being eaten by rats and crows. So if you're worried about owning an AR-15, I can promise you there's a goofball for every 20 people in this country. Some goofball that thinks the fact that they own the AR-15, it gives them superpowers. So yeah, just be patient. Once everything goes to hell, if you're, you're, you're patient and you're lucky and you've at least got a week's, a week or two worth of food, you'll be able to go out two weeks after day zero, and if you're really fucking careful, you'll probably be able to get all the guns and all the shit you need. I would still be careful, though. No, I I was thinking about the Holocaust and how people more or less went along with what the Nazis did, believing that they couldn't possibly be killed. It's like going into the shower. It seems to me that dogs and cats at the shelter, I mean, I don't know, I've seen pictures, I've, I've seen video. Dogs and cats at the shelter, they seem to know what is what is about to happen. They really do. They, they don't even have language. They don't even have history. And yet, if you've ever seen dogs and cats at the shelter, the ones waiting to die, they seem to know exactly what the fuck is about to happen. So my, one of my curious questions about the Holocaust is, How the fuck were people that fucking stupid? Like, if you really understood where you were at at that point, then the only rational thing to do is to fight back. In fact, if you look at the history of, well, quote-unquote, modern Israel, modern Israel, post the foundation of Israel in, what, 1947? Modern Israel has been fighting one war after another. And you can claim, well, it's because of the Arabs. Whatever, dude. The fact is, they've shown no aversion to violence. So how the fuck did six million people march into showers and die when a dog and a cat waiting to get a shot in the other room have a basic instinct of what is about to happen? How the fuck does that happen? Are people clueless? This was the 1940s, folks. The final solution, the the guts of it, the portion that killed most of the people, not all, but the bulk of the Jewish people that died as a result of the final solution. This happened post-1942, folks. You have to be really stupid, naive, or something else is going on to believe. If you're in a ghetto in 1942, you have to be crazy to believe that there's anything beyond your situation but death. You have to be fucking insane. You are seeing your friends systematically killed every day, yet you believe you'll get on a train and everything will be fine. I guess my question is, how the fuck do people become cattle? And then I, I realized something the other day, and it's really fucking scary, because I really don't understand how Jewish people didn't at some point simply run. Even if that meant being shot with machine guns, I would rather be riddled with machine guns than fucking walk like a fucking zombie with a bunch of other naked people to a fucking shower. I think I'd rather have the bullets. And no, I wouldn't believe the story after I got on the train. I stopped believing the story in the United States of America about 10 fucking years ago, folks. And we don't even have trains yet. But it occurred to me today... It occurred to me that perhaps there is a solution, if not in the 1940s, because I don't get that one. But there is a fucking solution today. I think people are so consumed, so trapped by their quote-unquote smart device. I think they've been so conditioned to what I would call soft obedience you know, I brought up Temple Grandin in the past. If you don't know who Temple Grandin is, I think she's still alive. She might be dead, but I think she's still alive. If you don't know who Temple Grandin is, she's a famous she's a famous autistic person. And she is famous for re-engineering or, or redesigning the way in which cattle are managed for industrial, um, essentially industrial butchering. Um, industrial slaughterhouses. She revolutionized the way in which cattle could be transitioned between loading, unloading, and various steps in the process that would lead to fewer injuries and, and fewer lost cattle. And from her perspective would be, you know, less cruel. It's less cruel to have the cattle go down the chute with these soft curves instead of hard angles. It's less cruel if the cow does not see anything remotely looking like, you know, death-ahead. It's less cruel if the cow can simply move in a direction towards its death as if it is moving in a beautiful green field. It's far less fucking cruel. I'm gonna tell you something, and I need you to fucking listen, folks, because actually, I'm, I'm talking to the wrong people. You know, I had a conversation with AJ about this today. You know, AJ? I said, you know, he was saying, Hey, dude, you have some interesting stuff to say. How can we promote this or whatever? And actually, AJ's a cool dude, and he's a really good friend. But the bottom line is this. What the fuck am I telling you? If I'm talking to you, if you're listening to me right now, chances are you're at least open-minded and you're thinking. It doesn't mean you have to agree with me, but at least you're thinking. So the fact is, I'm about to have a conversation about people who are not thinking to people that are. This is kind of absurd. But here's what I'm about to fucking say. And for those of you out there who are holding on to your smartphone as if you're holding on to, I don't know, the Holy Grail, maybe you should listen. Here's what I'm afraid of, folks. I'm afraid that if we ever do get to that ugly, ugly point where they need to put people, you know, in places, and it might even be just for general liquidation, like, hey, we need fewer people. It might not be about being Jewish or black or white or anything. It might just be about saving the planet. They'll say there's too many people. Please volunteer. There's too many goddamn people. Why don't you participate? You'll get a free beer. Oh, they'll let you drift away. Like Doby Gray, sitting on the dock of the bay. just go, go away. Here is my concern, people, that if this ever happens, the people that get killed, the people that get slaughtered, the people that end up in the camps, it will be like Pokemon Go. It will be literally the case that they will be asking directions to the concentration camp. It's like the first thing they'll do is they'll download... I think they'll probably, we live in an age of irony. So it'll probably be called the Life Energy Application. And you'll download it sometime in the year 2023. The Life Energy Application will tell you the color of your crystal. If your crystal turns red... If your your crystal turns... red... If your crystal is a crimson color, then you're dead. But you can ask directions. I am afraid that if you can envision the concentration camp of the future, you need to envision people just walking blindly, stupidly, like zombies, staring at their fucking smart devices. They will walk onto the trains. They will walk off of the trains. They, will, they won't even need fucking showers, people. It will really just be a giant vat of acid or some type of boiling gumbus they will simply march into the Gumbus, or perhaps it'll be giant razor saws that pop out and cut them in half. But the point is, no matter what the doom is, no matter how much blood or viscera is laying about, they will march and they will march and they will march right to their fucking death. See... Some of you listening may have thought I was beating up on Jewish people because, oh, how could the Jews be so stupid? That's not really my fucking point. What I don't get, given what I know about just basic animals and how they are very um, connected in some way, they can sense things in, in a way that maybe even is spooky. What I don't get is how the Jewish people and the other people who are victimized, the other minorities... I don't get how at some point they didn't realize they were simply marching to their doom. And and maybe it's because if if you teach people to be that fucking obedient, it doesn't even matter if they own guns. Folks, America has tons of guns. And we have tons of fucking tyranny. America has tons of ammo... And we also have tons of laws and lawyers. So if someone were to tell me there's some connection between people owning guns and human liberty... Maybe. But that's only if you're willing to use the fucking gun, folks. That's it. At this point in the game, it's almost too fucking late. All you fucking slaves have given up all your fucking rights. You, you will get on... Some of you next week will go to the fucking airport... You will let some stranger grope your fucking wife or your fucking kid, and you won't do a goddamn thing about it. Some of you, not all of you, and, and your rationale will be, I have to get to my friends for Thanksgiving, or my families or whatever, and I get it. I fucking, I'm totally tuned into that fucking gotta-see-the-family bullshit. But please don't tell me about all your fucking freedom. Please don't. Yeah, I, I can have, I have a vision of the destruction of America, and it doesn't require any great fucking imagination. All I have to do is walk up 12th Avenue towards Seattle University, 9 a.m. Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. And I will see everything I need to know about the future. Every single fucking thing. And I can tell you that the camps will be easy. In fact, maybe they'll use Pokemon Go. Forget the fucking energy spirit bullshit app where your crystal turns red. i tip my hat to Logan's Run. If you've never seen Logan's Run, it's a campy classic from the 70s. Kind of sexy, too. Kind of sexy. Kind of campy.
0: Oh... <sighs>
1: directions to the Concentration Camp. That's the weird thought in my head. Like, I had this weird thought today of people asking directions to the Concentration How do I get to the Concentration Camp? Will you show me the way? I read The Road to Serfdom, but it wasn't enough okay. How do I get to the concentration camp, buddy? I don't have a map. How do I get there? Next topic. So if you don't know, in my time as a software engineer starting roughly in 2003, um, and I I suppose technically I still am, although I try to work as little on a yearly basis now as I can. Hopefully I can escape that hell. I have been doing this since 2003, so I've been doing it for roughly what? 16 years? 16 years of programming computers. 16 years of telling machines what the fuck can do. 16 years of sitting on my ass. 16 years of bloody poo. Yeah, I don't know why I threw that one in. 16 years I've been programming fucking computers, and um, for roughly half of that time, plus or minus, roughly half that time, I worked around healthcare. Now I will tell you this about about that work: it was mostly healthcare finance, mostly things like revenue cycle, which, in terms of hospital finance, think collections. You know, I I, I had to work on bill repricing. I don't want to go into that right now. It's a really depressing topic. But the one thing I learned about hospitals is that they're not really what people think they are. Hospitals are also, I think, maybe not ironically named. They're more like not properly understood. The modern hospital has more in common with the Middle Ages than modern times. In fact, the modern hospital more or less was built upon two institutions. Um, institutions of religion in the Middle Ages and yeah, institutions of guilds or guild systems so the combination of guilds and religious folk you have a kind of hospital nexus various religious orders um, monastic orders uh, orders of nuns and whatnot sisterhoods, whatever Christ in the Catholic Church they would create hospitals Um, so And in a lot of ways, the basic structure of the hospital is still very medieval and very much about guilds. I'm mentioning this because people have this idea when they think about the United States that we're this modern economy with, you know, lots of modern ideas. But the fact is, healthcare is really not very modern. I mean, it might seem that way because of technology, but that it just seems that way. Um... The technology is a lot of smoke and mirrors, folks. A lot of fucking smoke and mirrors. What I will tell you, absolutely, is hospitals in general are horribly managed. And if it were not for Medicare, I think most of the major systems would go bust. 60% of the quote-unquote financial pie, and it's probably closer to 70% at this point, comes from Medicare. Medicare. And if, and if you recognize Obamacare for what it is, and that's a handout to hospitals and insurance companies, then actually, for the most part, hospital systems are sucking at the government tit. Not directly, indirectly. That's the way a lot of the bullshit works in a crooked society. Everything's an indirect payment. Everything's money laundering. But yeah, essentially a lot of very crony government money goes into health care. And I gotta say, one of the things I noticed early on, and it wasn't just working at hospitals, but it was you know, watching my mom and my sister die of cancer, I think hospitals are really death casinos. I think when you go to a hospital, there's a chance that they might help you, and there's a chance that they might hurt you, If you go to a hospital, there's a chance they might heal you and there's a chance they might kill you. It's really about the odds. When I worked in the system roughly you know 10 years ago, um, I remember someone quoting a statistic. Uh, the following statistic, something like 100,000 people die every year in hospitals um, because of a mistake, because of incompetence. You know, essentially somebody screwed up. 100,000 people every year. And a huge portion of the deaths are related to something called hospital-acquired infections, which means superbacteria. You do not want to get MRSA. That is multi-resistant strain Staphylococcus. Staphylococcus. Hard to say that word, right? And MRSA is just one of the really terrible bugs that has evolved and gotten stronger and more powerful in the age of, you know, ubiquitous healthcare. Every, everybody has a card, everybody gets to see a doctor, everybody gets to go to the fucking hospital, but the hospital is really a death casino. Here's another little interesting fact I've mentioned in the past. Surgical nurses in a lot of systems will use magical markers to tell surgeons what not to do. Like, don't cut off this leg, don't cut off this arm, remember, remember... This is an appendectomy, not a hysterectomy. So yeah, I'm really sorry, but my personal opinion about hospitals is that they are death casinos. Next fucking topic, but I'm going to get a little water first. I'm going to read a story from Zero Hedge very briefly, if I can bring up the link. It's from the other day. I I think you'll enjoy it. I have no fucking clue. We'll find out, though... In the end. Oh, okay, this story is from, actually, technically, it's from today. Yeah, or they updated it today, because today's the 20th, right? Fuck. That's weird, 1120. Maybe they, oh, it was updated, probably. Okay. Feds charge former Baltimore mayor with fraud, tax evasion over book scandal. Former Baltimore Mayor Catherine Pugh has been indicted on federal charges of wire fraud, tax evasion, and conspiracy to, def- to defraud the U.S., reported Fox 45 News Baltimore. Former Baltimore Mayor Pugh indicted on federal charges over book scandal, Washington Post. Pugh, that's spelled P-U-G-H, not P. Ew has been hi- has been in hiding for seven to eight months. <laughs> Is expected to surrender to U.S. Marshals Service in the next 24 hours, before her hearing in U.S. District Court in Baltimore on November 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> Pew went missing in April after the FBI and IRS raided her home amid speculation she was involved in a brazen kickback scheme involving sales of her Healthy Holly book series. former mayor of Baltimore was accused of using her position to secure agreements worth hundreds of thousands of dollars from the University of Maryland Medical System and Managed Care Consortium Kaiser Permanente. The contracts were arrangements to purchase thousands of copies of Pew's Healthy Holly book series written by Pew. Pugh was sitting on the organization's board when she received the book deal from the University of Maryland system, and shortly after she received a payment from Geyser Permanente, the company received received a $48 million contract from the city of Baltimore. Though we're sure that's just a coincidence. Furthermore, some of the Healthy Holly copies that Pugh sold to the University of Maryland medical system remain unaccounted for, and some suspect they may never have been printed. I'm going to stop here, folks, okay? Baltimore, 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 Baltimore. What do we say about our good friends in Baltimore? Firstly, it's really easy to beat up on people. It really is. I got to say, it's one of the past times during the denial-anger-bargaining phase of most people dealing with reality to beat up on their neighbors and say well at least I'm smart over here in magic land I'm not all crazy like those people in stupidville at least I got all my shit squared away here in super spent super uh, spectacular fantastic you know city we're not as crappy as those people in crapville I'm going to say this. Number one, I don't know anything about Mayor Pugh. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And I don't give a shit about her ethnicity. One of the things that is disturbing is the amount of time people spend connecting skin color or race or religion to these issues. I think this is about poverty. And I would even say fundamentally, it's about the hopelessness of a system that can never work. The government system doesn't work, folks. The reservation does not work. The people of, imagine if the people of Baltimore were granted their total freedom. Like, literally, treat, treat Baltimore like a free city. It's no longer U.S. territory. Anything goes. Some of you would contend that the entire place would look like Somalia within a few days. And you know what? You could be right. I really don't know. Maybe we can all just pretend that our racism manifests into something real. On the other hand, I'm going to wager the following, that A, it's not all black people in Baltimore, that's A, and B, poor people in general will try to find a way out if they're given a chance. I actually believe that. But the problem is our system is designed to keep people as slaves, okay? Nobody wants these people to be powerful. Nobody wants these people to get their shit together. If they got their shit together, they would walk off of the reservation. Nobody wants them to know there's a way out. Part of the trick of avoiding, you know, the death camp is coming to the realization that there's probably always a way out. Right up until the last fucking minute. Even if it's a choice between going out the way the Nazis want you to go out... Going out your own fucking way. But what I would say is this if the people of Baltimore were given their liberty, there would probably be some violence, there'd probably be some crazy shit. And then within a, about a year or two, you'd probably find out something interesting. Baltimore would probably be succeeding. But the only way that could happen is if there'd be one rule no fucking government. Okay? No mayor, no city council, no fucking coalition of the fucking Marxist-Communist fucking Group One, or whatever they want to call themselves in the future. No fucking Marxist-Socialist government bullshit, only liberty. Now, that's the problem though. If you tell people that, if you tell them they can't have what I would call patronage schemes, if you tell them they don't have ways for kickbacks and easy money, That's what pisses people off. And it's not just poor people, it's rich people too. In fact, it's it's all of America. You know, this is the part where we're very much like Rome. All of the countries like Rome. Ancient Rome was a city of patronage. Ancient Rome was a city of welfare queens at one point. And I'm being honest. The ancient city of Rome at one point was mostly people living off the dole. The Empire taxed the Empire, the money came back to Rome, the patricians would basically hand out money to the poor because there was nothing else to do. There was no real economy to be in an empire. It's a lot like I don't know if you if you watch The Walking Dead and the episodes that have to do with Negan. You know, who are you? I am Negan. Well that Negan had an empire. And the thing about empires is they don't really produce anything. They're very they're just parasitic. Rome was a parasite. In fact, Rome was probably always a parasite. It is not accidental, folks, that Hannibal so easily took over most of the peninsula of Italy during the Second Punic War. At one point, he had Rome under siege. He was very close to defeating Rome at one point. In fact, if he had been able to break the siege of Rome, (laughs) probably a great deal, if not almost all of the last 2,000 years of history would be different. Or I should say 2,200 years. But the point is, if Hannibal had actually broken the siege of Rome, if he'd actually sacked Rome, Rome would have been finished. And you ask yourself, how was he so fucking successful in Italy? I thought the Italians were Romans. No, no, no. If you saw that, you watched a Disney movie, you fucking moron. Rome was a city-state. Rome was born a city-state. Rome continued to be a city-state right up to the fucking end. That's the truth, folks. And the other dirty truth is this. The reason why Hannibal was able to so easily take over most of the Italian peninsula is because most of Rome's neighbors, which means other city-states on the Italian peninsula, did not like them. Yeah, another little fact of fucking history that the classics professor won't tell you. Because the problem is, if you tell this story, then all of a sudden people have to ask, well, wait a minute, then isn't that kind of like the United States? Isn't that kind of like our situation? Isn't it basically true that all empires are bullshit and none of them probably deliver crap? It's like the thing about Rome and Rhodes, who the fuck spread, who Who the fuck was the first person to spread that bullshit? It is true, the Romans were great engineers. But I gotta say, this idea that without the Romans there'd be no fucking roads is a load of fucking horse shit. There would have been roads, they would have been different. Who the fuck knows, they might have been better. But this idea we have to have an empire and build the roads. No, the roads are good for moving armies around. The types of roads they needed for commerce, for trade, they didn't have to be that durable. They had to be durable enough. They had to be maintained. The kinds of roads the Romans needed were for legions, so legions could quickly move around the empire. So whenever somebody says something like, well, who will build the roads, listen, That's not really what they're fucking saying. They're saying, who's going to build the fucking armies? And from my perspective, we don't need those fucking things. Next topic. Actually, before I go, I'm just going to say this about the, the mayor of Baltimore. Pew. Before we go to the next topic here. I think... I think the idea that she committed fraud and people are upset about this is, is silly as fuck. Pretty much the whole political system is layers of fraud now. I can tell you that the implementation of Microsoft Amalgam at many healthcare systems between 2009 and 2011 in this country was mostly fucking fraud. Okay, it was fraud. It was a gimme from the 2009 stimulus act, the omnibus, The Obama stimulus, meaningful use, right? Meaningful use, that's a term some people in healthcare will recognize. Pew didn't fuck up by doing fraud. Fraud is everywhere. Pew fucked up by doing the stupidest fucking fraud I can fucking imagine. Children's book scam? Really, Pew? Really, that's the best you could come up with? In Baltimore? I watched The Wire. I loved that show. The best you can come up with in Baltimore is a children's book scam. That's what worries me, folks. That's probably the most worrisome thing about this silly fucking story is that it's a fucking children's book scam. It's almost, I don't know how to put it, it's almost too cute to be illegal because it's so fucking silly and you'd say, but she stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh my god, that that's called one second on Tuesday for Boeing. I think people who listen to my podcast can get the impression that I believe that the world is about to end. And part of that is true. I think, here's what I think is true I think that we are on the, the verge of a major paradigm shift. That's a really, really nice way to put it. Um, there's a book, if you've never read it, a good book. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. The author is a man named Thomas Kuhn that's spelled last name Kilo Uniform Hotel November. Thomas Kuhn. The term paradigm shift was coined by Thomas Kuhn. And and one of, one of the things that Kuhn talks about is the period right before the paradigm shift. It is a period of turmoil. It's a period of a lot of insanity, a lot of crazy. And people don't really know what's coming. That's part of the source of the madness. And in a way, it's sort of natural to say to yourself, well, maybe we don't know what's coming at all. Like, maybe this is such a slippery piece of history we're in. We're in a very slippery piece of history right now, folks. Lots of things are unsettled. It's not just the fracking that's breaking up, you know, the continental plates and causing the plates to shift. There's a lot of fracking going on in the general awareness of humanity, and the plates are shifting, folks. The ground is shifting under our feet. about this whole situation we find ourselves in. I do believe we're on the verge of a paradigm shift, but all that means is we're on the verge of what I've referred to and others have referred to as kind of a great discontinuity, you know? Systems of discontinuous functions. We're on a function right now called f of x. And let's assume there's some number you know, on the domain, and that's the x-axis, called n. And when x equals n, f of x no longer defines anything. That is the beginning of the discontinuity. And before x, there are an unlimited set of functions. Some are really likely. G of x, let's call that world war three. I think G of X is very fucking likely at this point. And the G of X function, it's not a very pretty one. Um, Best case scenario, it becomes a doorway for basically one world government. The best case scenario of G of X, World War III, is essentially one world government worst case. People with money and resources hide out in Antarctica for 100 years, and the rest of us just die. But the thing is, these likelihoods, because of the space we're in right now, they change on a daily basis. And a lot of this is a question of how much do we really know? I personally think our government, our system is really just a criminal enterprise. I mean, from a philosophical perspective, I see the system as a criminal enterprise at this point. In terms of my definitions of right and wrong, but even deeper than that, The fact that I'm a Christian. If I use Christian principles to evaluate the behavior of my government and my society, if if I were to ask God right now, what does the United States deserve? I don't think you want to ask him that question. I really don't. If you're actually a Christian and you've meditated on the Ten Commandments and the whole, you know, golden rule, and the Beatitudes, and what it means to live a Christian life, you should know that the United States is currently an existential hawk. We have racked up a lot of dead bodies, and it's not just the war on terror, folks. It's not just the war on terror. We have made a lot of promises that we've broken. Yeah, ask a few chiefs about that. From day to day now, folks, I have no idea what's coming. I really don't. Currently, right now, I will tell you, I would wager on World War III because it's a great way. It's a great way to solve a couple problems. One, if you love Keynesianism and if you're a central bank, one of the ways in which you can get economic growth again is by blowing shit up. Now of course, you can't blow everything up. If you blow everything up, there's no people and no stuff to rebuild you just blow up a percentage. And it's just a question of how much, okay? So one of the benefits of a truly destructive, horrific, maybe limited nuclear war, is that it will essentially open up the world to GDP growth again. Like you could see 5% GDP growth for 20 years, maybe 30, after a nuclear war. Now you'd say, Dan, how is that possible? Well, GDP is growth from some point in the past, right, okay? If you pick the point, the beginning of the nuclear war, then every year after that, it's going to be tremendous growth.
0: Because
1: you're growing against nothing. You're growing against zero. You're growing against collapse. You're growing against the data of a deep black hole of radioactive nothing. Tomorrow, you could wake up and Donald Trump could announce to the world Hello world This is Donald Trump I have great news Aliens are real Their technology we did steal Free energy anti-gravity free food for all tomorrow. Tomorrow you could wake up and Donald Trump could tell you that the aliens are real and that we have their technology and we don't have to worry about oil any longer. And we'll clean up the environment and everything will be fine. However, in this new world, we'll have to do a few things. Zortan, our alien um, diplomatic representative, not really our overlord, don't say that. Zortan will demand that we all put a little chip in our arm, just to be chipper. That little chip will keep us connected to the supercomputer, and that's how we get to eat. Now you're going to say, Dan, if we get all that free energy, and if we get all that super technology, Why do we need the little chip from Zortron? And it turns out that you get to go to a special place for asking questions like that, you fuck. Day to day, the probability shift, folks. That's the interesting time we're in right now, okay? All I can tell you is that there is some number n on the domain where if x equals n, The current functor, the current paradigm, the current F of X, ceases to be. And I know it's sad, folks. I know when when old things go away, it's sad. But I gotta be honest with you, I thought I grew up in a free republic. Before I became an anarchist, I truly believed I grew up in a free republic, not an empire. And yeah, I guess I was really fucking stupid. But... For many years now, I've seen it for what it is. And I would prefer, even as an anarchist, I would say the following. It would be better if we were just a free republic again. Or at least try to be what we never were. If we could just try to be a free society. Yeah, maybe we have to have the training wheels. Maybe we still need to keep voting. But it would be nice if we voted for a while just to get rid of laws. You know, just repeal, repeal, repeal. Keep repealing that fucking onion. That fucking potato until there's none left. Keep repealing. We don't need to be an empire is my point. I I have no desire for it. Why would anyone else? Why do Americans want to be an empire? Because we're afraid someone else will step in and become the empire? I'm going to tell you guys something. That's a shitty job. Let someone else have it. It's actually easier to just not get in the fucking, you know, to get into that situation. It really is. It's better to not participate in that bullshit. It's better to recognize that, you know, let the chips fall where they may. The human race is not perfect, but I know this much. There's nothing about the United States that gives us a right to tell people how to live. Nothing. Nothing in our history leads me to believe that we have any moral high ground whatsoever. We have none. We don't. We don't even have moral high ground in the United States of America. Our government in my opinion, has zero moral authority INSIDE of the United States, let alone going around the world, stealing people's shit, telling them how to fucking live, telling them they have to use our crooked money and deal with our crooked banks. No, fuck you, is what I would say. Give me a second as I reconscribulate, I need to move some things about, yeah. You know, hmm. I don't know, folks, I don't know. I don't know, 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 I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know about any of this stuff anymore. One more topic I think for today for this evening. So I told you I went to see Dr. Grunkus last week. He used the arc welder on me. When when he was done using the arc welder when I when I, you know, when I actually woke from being so horribly drunk and in pain. When I woke in my bed covered in blood and sweat with a smell of alcohol and the gumbus of the streets of Little Saigon, there was a note pinned to my chest. Dr. Grunkus actually used a tack nail and a tack hammer and tacked a note into my fucking chest, that fuck. And the note read, You need to start smoking cigarettes again, Dan. You need to start smoking cigs for your health, Dan. If you don't start smoking cigs, your health will not improve. I recommend American Spirit cigarettes. I recommend the Orange Pack. It's a pretty good choice there, Dan, but you need to start smoking cigs again. Grunk has told me that if I really want to become healthier, I need to recall what the ancient scientists used to say. Before the time of the overlords of margarine and Velveeta, before the time of credit cards and cocaine nightmares... Before the ancient times were ruined by the modern times, the ancient scientists knew this. Cigarettes improve your health through various ways. Cigarettes allow you to manage your internal environment. Cigarettes will give you a sense of understanding and will reshape your sense of hunger so please Dan please please by all means by all means my friend my patient Dan this is Dr. Grunkus Recommend one fifth of whiskey one fifth of whiskey a day and half a pack of cigarettes.